Well, I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and open to the book of Genesis in chapter 7. We come to this morning to a somber text, one that really when we, when we catch what has happened here, what is, uh, what is going on, it should in a way take our breath away. It should cause us to reflect and think deeply. For it is what we are going to see this morning is literally the most calamitous, the most dreadful day in human history from the very beginning of the world until our very day right now, this day. Last week we were in chapter 6. We saw God's instructions to Noah where God called for Noah to build an ark. A, an enormous box-like seafaring barge, the purpose of which was to save his family and representative kinds of all land-dwelling creatures to take them through a disastrous flood that God was going to send upon the earth to destroy all life. We saw that Noah obeyed despite the enormity of the task that that was given to him, despite the fact that there was literally no visible evidence of the catastrophe that was coming, despite the fact that he almost certainly endured heartless and cruel ridicule and torment from his neighbors, and that we saw Noah persevered in labor over many years, likely decades, possibly even more than a century until the task was finally done. And we pick it up here in chapter 7 of Genesis in verse 1. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heaven, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the earth. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. In these first five verses, what we see is the call for all aboard. If you've ever been on a ship or or gone on a train, you'll often hear that, all aboard! That's what God says effectively here in these verses. Go into the ark. Last week in chapter 6, we saw the instructions given. And Noah began the work. Now it is decades, perhaps a century since Noah began. The work is done. The ark is built. The preparations are finished. And God says the time has arrived. Seven days and the flood will come. This is not a drill. This is not a, uh, you know, not a little 
you know, gotcha game. This is the real thing. Total devastation will follow in seven days. And again, Noah, as he has done all along, Noah obeys. Verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. Verses in many ways very similar to the verses ahead, except what we'll notice is there's been a progression. In the chapter before, there was a similar listing to these, but it was the instruction of what you are to do, this is what's going to happen, and you're to take your family and you're to take all the animals and go aboard the ark. Then we saw in the verses just before this that the ark has been built and now it's time to load. And now what we see is the loading is done. And seven days later, what he says is everybody's aboard. That's verses 5 through 9. The loading is finished. They have gone into the ark, the family and the animals. That brings us to verse 10. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, and on the 17th day of the month, and on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. In verses 10 to 16, the flood begins. We take note that it says it's a specific day. It's the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year. It's not there because it's a special day like a holiday. It's not, you know, it didn't happen on Groundhog Day or, uh, you know, on Valentine's Day or a holiday like that. It's simply noting that it wasn't just Someday it was the day. It's the day God had chosen, the 17th day of the second month in Noah's 600th year. It was a real day. We note that God shuts them in. After everyone is loaded, God shuts them in. That's significant because what it means is that now they're under His protection. When God says to go in there to be safe, and when He shuts you in, you can know that you are safe. As I read that, I couldn't help think but what Jesus said when He says that to those who are His, He says, you are in My hand. My hand is in My Father's hand, and no one is able to take you out of My hand. It's a wonderful place to be in the hand, in the protection of God. We're safe. 
And so we do not fear what man can do to us, because Scripture says, because we are in God's protection. And so Noah and those in the ark had no need to fear because God had shut them in. They are now in His care. But not only are they shut in, but very effectively, the outside world is now shut out. That is where it gets very sobering. You know, I believe that, and I can't prove this, but I believe that there was extra space on the ark. We talked last week about how much space was needed to house the animals. We talked about and how the space they had left over for supplies. And I think there was room for a few people to come aboard if they would have. And it wasn't that they had not had warning. You'll recall a thousand years before this, uh, three weeks ago, Pastor Aaron was teaching from, from chapter 5. And we had Enoch mentioned. Enoch, the one who who walked with God. And what we learn over in Jude is that he was a preacher who preached and warned about coming judgment. God was going to judge the world because of man's sin. Methuselah. Methuselah was given the name, when he dies, it will come. Noah was born. And when God spoke to Noah 120 years before this, God said, I will not strive with man forever. His days shall be 120 years. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And we mentioned this last week. Every day that Noah worked on the ark, this massive construction project, it was by his very actions a sermon. I imagine though it wasn't just his actions. I imagine he used words. And he shared the message that God had given. There is a judgment coming. Methuselah demonstrated it was coming when he dies. And Enoch had preached about it. And God says it's going to be 120 years. The day had come. It was this day. February 17th or whatever the second month was that they called it. The 600th year of Noah's life. Jesus said on that day everything was just going on like it always had. People were having lunch at restaurants and and people were getting married and having parties. People were just going on about their daily lives all the way up until the flood happened. The sun was shining, everything was beautiful, and suddenly, boom, the door was closed. There was no more escape says it was on that same day that the door closed. Verse 13, the rain began. Not just rain, but it says the windows of heaven opened. Torrential downpours. And not just rain coming down, but it says water from both above and water from below. It says the great fountains of the great deep burst forth open. Something happened and it was explosions of water coming out of the ground as the subterranean water vaults, cavities underground that had water exploded. 
Tidal waves, I imagine, were created in the oceans that began to sweep over the land even as the torrential rains are coming down. It was all on that same day that the flood began. Most people in our day, some of them Christians, say that the story of Noah is a myth. They say it is a legend, perhaps a fairy tale. At best, some of them, some who call themselves Christians, say that it was it, this is an allegory, not a real event, this flood of Noah. It's an allegory, a mythical tale that has a some kind of a point to it. But may I say that as we read through this, the very language of the text here is not myth. It is history. When you read through it, it, it simply is telling you what happened. It's not fanciful language, but it's couched in realities. Things like the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year. The language of this cries out, this was a real event. Well, as, as believers, what should especially convince us that this is a real event, not a myth, not a legend, is the very Scripture itself. God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and God says, This is like the days of Noah to me as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17 also over in Matthew chapter 24 says the same thing. It says, just as it was in the days of Noah, I was referring to this a moment ago, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning Events yet as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. First Peter chapter three verse twenty says that God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. In every case, the scriptures here speak of this not as a fable, not as a, a uh, an allegory but it speaks of it as a real, actual event. And for anyone who calls himself a believer to say that it was not a real, actual event, they put themselves at odds with Peter. They put themselves at odds with the book of Hebrews. They put themselves at odds with Jesus. They put themselves at odds with the prophet Isaiah. And actually they put themselves with God who spoke through Isaiah and they all speak of Noah as a real person and this is a real event. So I think as believers, it settles the issue. Did this really happen? If you believe the Bible at all, yes, it did. But it's fair to ask the question, if this really happened, if really everyone in the world alive today is descended from Noah and his three sons, who alone survived a flood, then shouldn't there be some other record of this happening? 
in the world other than just in the Bible? And of course, the reality is, yes, there should be. And yes, there is. What we discover when you look is that there are literally hundreds of cultures around the world who have in their ancient memory an account of a great flood. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Nigerians, the Greeks, the ancient Druids in Europe and other European cultures, the Persians, the Hindus, the Indians, the Chinese, the Phrygians, the Australian Aborigines, the Fiji Islanders, the Hawaiians, the Eskimos, the Native Americans, the Brazilians, the Peruvians, we can go on. Well over 250 people groups all over the world. They have distinct traditions of a worldwide flood in their memory that predated any contact with Jewish or Christians in over the centuries. That's why Haley's Bible Handbook states this, Indeed, every branch of the whole human race, Semitic, Aryan, Turanian, they all have traditions of a great deluge that destroyed all mankind except one family. Though there are many differences between these traditions and some are very fanciful and others match up very closely with the Scripture, Josh McDowell, a well-known Christian apologist, has written this. He said, "The, the parallels between the many stories are amazing. They generally agree that Number one, there was some provision made of an ark, a barge, or boat, something. Secondly, living things were destroyed by water, by a flood. Thirdly, that only a few were saved, and that through those through divine intervention. Fourthly, the flood was judgment because of man's wickedness. Fifthly, that animals were saved along with the few humans. And sixthly, that the vessel comes to rest on a mountaintop. On average, more than 80% of the flood stories around the world catch those ingredients. It's amazing. But the reality is that's exactly what we should expect. If... Only one family out of all of the earth survived and they survived through a worldwide flood in a boat with a bunch of animals. I think that story would get passed down. And so it did. It lends credence to the biblical account. What we have here, of course, is not borrowing from those fables, but what we have here is God's account of here's the real event. The reality is though a significant percentage of even evangelical Christians today say that the flood wasn't worldwide. Evangelical Christians may say, yes, there, there was a flood and it wiped out mankind and Noah did build an ark and they, and they were saved through the ark, but the flood wasn't worldwide, it was localized, it was regional. And there's quite a lot of folks that say that. 
And they would say presumably that was because mankind was more localized. He didn't have to have a global flood. Only a smaller scale flood was needed because people were just in a small area. And they would point out that when we come here to to Genesis 7, we read about the flood and it talks about the earth. That word earth can be translated in Hebrew. It can mean exactly what it can do in, in English as well. Earth can mean the whole earth, the world, or it can mean the earth, the local area. You know, I dig up the earth here. And so that's what it's talking about here. It's talking about the local earth in this region where this local flood was. Is that really what the passage says? And I'm going to read now the next section and I want you to follow along and I want you to listen carefully. Because even if the word earth means land... Notice all the other words, words like all and every and whole. Some of those, they're adjectives, by the way, for those of you who need a refresher in English. And see if what's being described here is something local or something global. Verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and livestock and beasts and all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed in the earth 150 days. We have... Here in these verses, the great deluge, the flood. Was it a global flood? Well, I submit, I don't think you can get past all the everys and the alls and the holes. And it wasn't just in those verses I read, but in the verses we read before. What is here is language that says what it literally says. All the earth. If that's not enough, though, we go to the question of the 40 days of rising waters. 40 days of rain and 40 days of the waters, it says, that are rising as the the waters continue to rise. Verse 17, lifting the ark higher and higher. If you've got 40 days of torrential rain, not only rain coming down from above, but water coming from below, 40 days? doesn't sound like a local flood. It sounds bigger than that. Notice verse 18. It says the waters prevailed. That word prevail is a word from, from a fight. You, you get into a fight and one prevails means they win. What you've got is a battle between land and water. And which one wins? The water prevails. Water beats land in this. Verse 19 The water prevails. It beats the land to the point that it says, verse 19, all the high mountains under the, what's the next word? Whole 
heavens were covered. How many mountains are covered when it says all the high mountains? All. Now they would say it's all that they could see from their limited perspective where they were. The problem with that is it's all the high mountains under the whole heavens. In other words, if there's sky above the mountain, it was covered. Moves it from beyond what people could see. It's any mountain that had sky above it. The whole earth is in view here. I think that says it all, but it keeps going. Not only did the water prevail and beat down the land, the water prevailed over the mountains, verse 20, by 15 cubits. I don't think that Noah got out there with a yardstick or a measuring stick and he's measuring. How do we know it was over them by 15 cubits, which is about 23 feet? It doesn't tell us. I have a feeling, though, it's this. Any of you guys who who like boating, what you know is if you've got a boat and, and you like boating, you know what the draft is. How much of your boat sits in the water when it's loaded? I think 23 feet is probably the draft of the ark. And the way that it's measured is simply by this. They know it's 23 feet above the tallest mountain because the ark doesn't touch anything. It's a minimum of 23 feet. What it's saying is what it says earlier, that the floods lifted lifted the ark above the water and the water goes above the land. And now the tallest thing on earth is the ark, which is sitting at least 23 feet to the water. I should say is sitting at least 23 feet above the tallest point of land. And the ark is now the only thing above the water. Not only that, verse 24, it says 150 days before the water started to come down just a little bit. The water prevailed over the earth. A local flood can prevail in a local area for a little while. It'd have trouble prevailing for 40 days. We've seen some pretty big floods around St. Louis. We've never seen water stick around for 40 days. To stick around above the tallest point of land for 150 days? No way in a local flood. As we'll see next week, it was over a year before it was possible to disembark to get out of the ark. This is not a local flood. If it were a local flood, there would have been no reason to build the ark. It has been an unnecessary exercise. Why spend 100 years building a boat if you could simply take a few animals and walk? And in a hundred years, I think you get pretty far away from any local flood. Plus, it says in verses 21 to 23, I don't know if you've noticed there all the lists. The end of chapter 6, there was a list of everybody that was supposed to get on board the ark. In the beginning of this chapter, there was a list of everybody that was supposed to start loading once God said loading. Once they got on the boat, it said, everybody, here's everybody that got on board. And once they were all in board and the rain started and God shut the door, here's everybody that's inside. Here's another list, and it's everybody that's outside the ark. This is the sobering reality because it says all flesh died All birds, all livestock, all beasts, all swarming. And it's on and on and on. Everybody died. Every animal died on land. Only, verse 23, Noah was left 
those with Him in the ark. I don't think the Bible could be clearer. This was a global catastrophe. I think the only reason that many Christians in our day, and by the way, do not be misled, it it has only been in the last 100 to 200 years that Christians have ever doubted whether the flood was global. Because the Bible is so clear. Why do some people feel the need to say, well, it must be local? Only if they're trying to acquiesce to modern, evolutionary, secular scientists who scoff at the concept of a worldwide flood. Modern secular science says there was never a flood on the earth. No global flood ever. Never happened. Period. And that has caused many Christians to wonder, wow, Well, if I'm going to believe the Bible and believe that this was a global flood, do I have to just check my brains at the door when I come in? And the answer is certainly not. We don't have time this morning to cover it all. I encourage you, if this interests you, there are tons of places to dig. I'll help you if you need uh, ideas of places to read and research. You'll find that there's abundant evidence of a worldwide flood. Matter of fact, Secular scientists all agreed there was a worldwide flood until about 200 years ago. The only reason they've changed, quite frankly, well, we'll get to that in a moment. It's all about trying to cut God out of the picture deliberately. few evidences that are out there that you can see. One is sedimentary rocks. Most of the earth's crust is made up of Faces, layers of sedimentary rock, sandstone, shale, limestone, things like that. And in almost every case, sedimentary rock is formed underwater, which is a strong evidence for a worldwide flood. And not just a little bit of sedimentary rock over the earth. It's in places, it's miles deep. Modern events like the eruption of Mount St. Helens have demonstrated the things that you'll hear in almost every movie and video and every display at museums and everywhere else. This takes millions and millions and millions of years. They discovered there that sedimentary deposits could be laid down in things that they say take millions of years, happened in months and in some cases in weeks and in some, at least one case, in a day. And form rapidly. Strong evidence, sedimentary rock is a strong argument for a worldwide flood catastrophe. Fossil graveyards. The earth is loaded with massive fossil graveyards. They blanket the earth. The reality is that fossils aren't formed gradually over millions and millions of years because what happens is if you get an animal that dies, what happens? It rapidly decomposes. For a fossil to be formed, it has to be buried almost immediately and be under lots of pressure to form quickly before it decomposes. Fossils are not an argument really for long, long ages in evolution, but really are an argument for a global catastrophe of a massive flood that buried millions and billions of organisms almost instantly. Not only that, there are fossils on mountains. Matter of fact, 1953, 
three years before I was born, Sir Edmund Hillary was the first guy to make it, at least on record, to the top of Mount Everest, tallest mountain in the world. You know what it's recorded that he found when he got there? Seashells. Seashells and uh, sedimentary rock. Sedimentary rock has to be underwater. And here it is on the top of the tallest place on earth. Interesting. Since then, not only more of those things, whale bones have been found on top of Mount Everest. Here's a whale skeleton found on the top of the Andes Mountains. Geology expert Dr. John Morris has written this. He said, Mount Everest and the Himalayan range, along with the Alps and the Rockies and the Appalachians and the Andes and most of the other world's mountains are composed of ocean bottom sediments full of marine fossils laid down by the flood. I grew up, most of you know, out in West Texas as a kid running around in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And I remember as kids, as we would climb around in the Rocky Mountains in the middle of the desert, you find seashells and fossils. Dr. Morris goes on to explain that the flood drastically altered the earth's geology. It reshaped the land and the continents. And he went on to say that Noah's flood didn't cover the Himalayas. Rather, it formed them. (laughs) It was through the process of Noah's flood that plates came together and pushed these sediment rocks up as high as they are. But he definitely believes that all of the earth was covered by a flood. We don't have time to go into more evidences of a worldwide flood, but there are plenty of them if you're willing to look. The interesting thing to me is that despite the fact that there is abundant evidence of a worldwide flood here on planet Earth, a world where more than two-thirds of our Earth is covered by ocean that averages two and a half miles deep, The modern secular scientific community scoffs at the concept of a global flood on earth. And yet, in very recent years, almost the entire same secular scientific community has universally embraced the concept that planet Mars, which is unarguably a desert when you look at it and has a couple of small little polar ice caps, the scientific community almost universally believes that Mars was at one time mostly, if not globally, flooded. And to date, by the way, they have yet to find any liquid water on Mars. It's all just frozen in the ice caps. In the most inconceivable irony, the scientists, when they describe Mars in a flooded state, they call it the Noachian period. They named it after Noah. The same people who refuse to believe it could happen here say, yeah, it happened there and we'll call it Noah's flood. You say, what is going on? Well, The Bible talks about this very thing and predicts this very thing. 
Second Peter chapter three says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So in the last days, people are going to come along. And because of their sin is the motive here. We'll get to that more in a second. They're going to say, where's this? you talk about Jesus coming back. He ain't coming back. Where's this promise that is coming? Things have been going along here like they always have from the very beginning and today it's going along still the same as it is and it's going to keep going forever because there is no God. There is no Creator. There is no return of Christ. Peter says, that's, what the, that's what's going to happen. By the way, that's called universalism. And it is at the heart of evolution. It is not universalism. Universalism. Anyway, I didn't put it in my notes and now I can't get the word out. It's okay. The things continue to go as they always have. It's at the heart of their philosophy. Notice what Peter says as they go on. He says, For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Uniformitarianism was the word I was trying to get out. Things keep going as they were. They deliberately, though, he says, overlook some things. They overlook, he says, that there is a Creator God. They overlook that He created the earth. He formed it out of water, through water. We recall Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And the earth, we get down to verse 3, we discover the earth is covered with water. And God created the world originally before He shaped it into what we know. It was covered by water. And what He says, He formed it out of water and with water. And now by using water, God destroyed the earth Genesis chapter 7. And that world perished. The problem, Peter says, isn't that they can't see the truth. He says it's that they won't see the truth. They refuse to do it because to, re, to acknowledge that means something's going to have to change. Verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. To admit that the flood happened then requires acknowledging that there is a Creator God who is also judge. And He judged the world of that time. And there is another judgment, a final accounting that is coming and it will, as it says here, bring destruction for the wicked. It says that's why people don't want to recognize it. Because they don't want to believe that there's a God to whom they are accountable. And a God who will one day judge. Noah and his family to be saved. They had to believe God. And do what he said. Get in the ark. 
It is what has always been required for anyone to be saved. They weren't saved because they were good people. They saved because the Scripture calls them here. It says that they were righteous before God. He says that in in the first verse here of chapter 7. You are righteous before Me. They're righteous because they believed God. Hebrews chapter 11 says that. It was by faith because they believed God they were righteous. It's the same thing for people today. We don't get to heaven by being good enough. We can't be. Noah and his family were saved because they believed God and they walked through a doorway to enter the ark. They were saved. For us to be saved today, to be rescued from the judgment that is coming, we today have to walk through a door. Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the door. Whoever enters by Me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. How do we enter the door of Jesus? John 3.16 God so loved the world He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The people in Noah's day could know about the ark. It didn't help them to know the ark was there. It didn't help them to be near the ark standing outside. That didn't help them. It didn't help them to even like the ark and think, wow, that's pretty impressive. The only thing that would have helped them is if they believed God and walked in. So it is in our day with Jesus. Knowing about Jesus doesn't help. Thinking Jesus is cool doesn't help. Even going to church doesn't help. The Bible says it's only when we enter the door those who listen to God and trust in Jesus that will be saved. And that brings all of us to one of two places this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, the whole lesson to this, the whole focus of this really isn't the judgment. The whole focus was all that repeated list of everybody who got in the ark whom God saved. The focus is that God saves anyone who will listen to Him. Will you believe in Him? The second big point of this text is for all of us who are believing in Jesus. We are in a world that is moving forward day by day minute by minute towards a day of judgment. Some people will get there sooner because they die. But one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and enter planet earth and judgment will come. He left a mission for all of us who believe in Jesus. That is, we're supposed to tell people there's a Savior. It's the job that He gave to Enoch. It's the job He gave to Methuselah. It's the job He gave to Noah. It's the job He's given to us in our generation, in our day. Let's pray. Father, this is sobering stuff and I've gone long. But I pray that the message has been very clear. You will judge the world because You are a righteous God because we are sinners. But You love us so much as we saw in the communion this morning and we've talked about so many times this morning. You loved us so much. You sent Your Son. Jesus became one of us to take our sin upon Himself. Provide a way out just like the ark was provided for Noah. That was a picture for us to see that if we trust in Jesus, we like just like Noah, we will be delivered from the judgment to come. 
Father, may no one leave this place not having put their trust in Jesus. And may all of us be faithful to share the fact with our world that yeah, there's a judgment coming, but good news, God loves you so much. He may He provided a Savior. The Jesus who is the ark of safety. May we put this into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.